The Providence College Friars. Top for the crossover. The reverse. Oh, baby. The Big East. Edwards to his back. The rest of the college hoops world. setting the screen. Dunn twisting his way in. This is the Providence Crier Podcast. With your host, a PC grad standing in at four feet tall. He is the Providence Crier himself, Mike Surratt. Everybody, welcome back to a new episode, a new season of the Providence Crier podcast. I'm Mike Surratt, the Providence Crier. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at the Pro, or excuse me, at Providence Crier. And join with me this week and every week is Brendan. You can follow him on Twitter as well at BOC All Day. We made it. We uh, we made it to I'm, another. I'm fired podcast. up. I'm I'm fired up, Mike. The season that we uh, thought would never come. I remember the Big East tournament being canceled when I was in O'Hare Airport and. Uh, even though it was only a couple months ago, it feels like it was about 10 years ago. So uh, light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. Um, today is Tuesday, November 3rd. It is election day. Um, Corley, I, I don't want to get too political here, but I do want to share with everyone, uh, with it being election day, I want to tell you who I did not vote for this time, who I did vote for last time. And that would be Ed Cooley. Last was- year... Yeah, that was a know. good. Yeah, that was a that was a good joke, Mike. That was a good political joke there. I, this is not even a joke. Uh, I voted for Ed Cooley last year. This year, I did not. Uh, I won't share who I voted for, but uh, you know. But if you think about it, in 2016, the last election, Cooley Cooley was you know on fire. Team made the dance. They beat USC. Uh, I was at the game in Raleigh. I, I fell off a scooter and, or. Uh, Gator or whatever they're called and broke my nose. It's a great time. But no, the Friars were, were riding high then. And and Cooley got my vote of confidence then. Cooley, but, Cooley, Cooley was also riding hot coming into uh, 2020 as well before uh, COVID had other plans for the Friar program. Yeah, I mean, certainly maybe I would have changed my vote had, uh, had we had the tournament um, had the Friars finally made that, that run that, that we're hoping for, that we're expecting here. Um, but, you know, that's in the past now. We move on. Uh, new season. Um, you know, we've been putting out content, content throughout the summer uh, regards to recruiting, other, you know, news, uh, newsworthy headlines. Um, yep. But, yeah, I think now – with the season just around the corner in about 20-something days, I think it's three weeks from to on Wednesday, right? Yeah, I believe so. Like I think I think you're right. Uh, yeah, so, so we're, we're coming closer. So now you know, we're going to be putting out the podcast um, at least once a week, trying to do two. We'll, we'll see what our schedules look like. But um, I'm excited for, for, for a great season. I don't know about you. 
Yeah, I'm really excited. I think, uh, I mean, we'll get into this in more detail uh, later this week, but I think a big thing is Cooley's teams traditionally do very, very well when they have a traditional pass-first point guard, and it seems like they have that with Bynum. They have a lot of returning key pieces and Reeves, Duke, Watson. They have some – they're old, as like Mike Bray likes to say, stay old in college basketball. So um, I'm uh, very optimistic about the team this year. Yeah, I mean, Cooley definitely bought into that mantra of Mike Bray to, to, to be old and stay old. Um, and obviously he's done a good job with that, with the waiver wire, or excuse me, the waiver wire, the transfer wire. Somebody fo- like, some, it, somebody's focusing on fantasy football. <laughs> I, I guess it could be considered the uh, waiver wire, the, the way guys are always on the move these days. But yeah, um, but yeah, they've hit the transfer market um, hard, and I, I think it will pay dividends um, once again this season. I mean, last season you brought in Pip, um, you know, it, it was an adjustment for sure. But once he got going, once the team found their identity, um, they were able to, to, to have, you know, the historic February that they had. Um, but this year, yeah, you mentioned Jared Bynum coming over from St. Joe's. Um, definitely like what you see as a pass point, first point guard, but also a guy that can, you know, finish around the trees and, and is capable of hitting outside shot as well. Um, yeah, I think – I think one of the one of the big differences is uh, between Pipkins and Bynum and Horchler is they have been in the program for a year plus already. Um, so with Pip uh, with Pipkins, where he was a grad transfer, kind of thrust into a starting role immediately. These guys know what Cooley expects of them, given they were here for a year. They know the players. They know what the players like and dislike, where they like the ball on the court. Um, so I think it should be more of a uh, seamless start than it probably was last year with Pipkins. Although he finished finished very well. Yeah. I mean, you hope that that year under their belt definitely serves them well. Um, You know, um, you know, starting off, they'll play Fairfield that came out recently. Um, They'll open up against Fairfield on the 25th. um, And then, you know, the Maui invitation, Maui invitation now in Asheville, but uh, obviously (laughs) they want to avoid uh, the start that they had last year. And you hope, um, with a guy like Bynum, a guy like Horschler being in the system for a full season, uh, they're acclimated with their teammates and all that. Um, and, you know, with Horschler, I'm really big on Horschler. I, I know some Fire fans think Greg Gant will get the start in year two. Um, I personally don't see that. Uh, you know, I, I think they brought Horschler in here for a reason. I think Cooley likes, likes older players and, um, Granted, I do think Greg Gant will develop into a very useful player this season. I I want to give the nod to, to, to Hortzler. Let's see yeah. what he can do. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I think you're accurate in all those things. I think Hortzler will probably be the starting four to start season. We'll see where the season progresses, but he'll also potentially also play some five. We'll see what happens with. Uh, at Croswell in the five and see if he can get eligibility this year, but that's a different topic for a different day. But Gan, I think Gan can play, honestly, the two through four, no problem. Maybe not so much the two, but he can probably play it in spots. Really versatile player. So um, even if he doesn't start right away, I think he's going to get a ton of minutes. Yeah, and, um, you know, it. I, I kind of teased this earlier uh, the past couple of weeks that we do have a special guest. And a point I made in this interview was um, – regarding Greg Gant was 
I kind of see him as a guy like uh, Jerron Giroux, uh from at Houston. Um, you know, he, he was a player that was at UMass, transferred to Houston. And you look at what he did last year for a, a pretty good Houston club. He played like pretty close to, if not starters minutes, um, but he was coming off the bench as a six man. Um, and I think that that's what we'll see with Brigant. I mean, cause you know, he's got the athleticism to defend, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to make a couple highlight plays, but ultimately it's going to come down to whether or not he can put the ball in the basket. Um, because I mean, that's imperative uh, stay on the court, especially with, you know, the struggles that we've seen this offense go through um, over the last couple of years uh, during stretches. So. Yep. We also didn't even mention uh, Bryce, and I believe you pronounce the last name Gadeen or Gadine, who's el- who's eligible. Um, so he's going to be, uh, I think, to start this year at least a depth piece in the backcourt. We'll probably uh, spell some minutes for Reeves, Duke, and maybe potentially Bynum as well. So depth is a big thing. Uh, we'll see how we'll, how well Cooley can handle a deeper uh, rotation. Yeah, for sure, and. Um... You know, the, the, the goat, uh, Bryson, I don't know, I've heard it pronounced different ways too, uh, like Godine, Gudine or whatever, but uh, Bryson, that's, it was announced on uh, Big East Media Day that he did finally get his waiver. He is eligible for the season, um, and for sure, that extra ball handler is critical, I think, because um, if you look, you know, at last year, like where would we be without a Malik White? Um, yep. Who, you know, I think he got the occasional start, but mostly he was coming off the bench as, as that backup ball handler. And, you know, that's certainly a critical piece. Um, but speaking of Big East Media Day, for our interview, um, our special guest this week, we got John Fanta and um, pretty excited. It was a really good interview. Great guy. All, oh. John's a great John's a great guy. We have a lot of commonalities. Um, huge sports fan. Before we started recording, we went in-depth on Cleveland Browns football. Mike and I didn't want to admit that his Browns have a better record than both of our teams, uh, which yeah. is a rarity for our teams, for me and Mike's team. But um, that, that was before this week, and after this week, that didn't even change. Uh, yeah. The Browns so, yeah, still but, have, even though they lost, the Browns still have more wins than my Patriots and Corley's Dallas Cowboys. But, uh, yeah, Fanta was a really good guy. You know, it's amazing how – you know, you see the passion from him when he does yep. Biggie shoot around, um, you know, when he joins the Fox Sports sets and stuff like that. Um, and he's, he's always that way. He was that way in the interview. So uh, it's really cool to see a guy that, that has that much passion uh, about sports and the Biggie's for, for that. For that part. Yeah, it was a, uh, you know, I think we, we probably interviewed him or Ron for about an hour and an hour or so time flew because you could just tell not only is he so passionate but he knows his stuff inside and out and it was just a really fun conversation yeah for sure he, he we were only getting a half hour with him and he wanted to do more and then but he had a ferry that he had to catch i guess to from new york city to hoboken or something like that vice versa uh, probably yeah 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 uh so um yeah he he texted us was like listen my late meeting got canceled. I'm already back. I can stay on for as long as you wanted. And honestly, he, we could have probably talked to him for like three hours. <laughs> easily, easily. Um, I'm looking forward to many conversations with him moving forward. But yeah, this is a 
hopefully not only Friar fans, but hopefully Big East fans appreciate this because we got in depth on a lot of teams, whether it's, you know, Villanova at the top, Creighton, you even talked a fair amount about Marquette. Um, so I think regardless of uh, if you're just a Friar fan listening to this or a Big East fan in general, you're going to enjoy it. And it's nice to have somebody with the expertise of John uh, breaking it down for us. For sure. So, all right, so let's get to that interview with John Fanta. But first, we will have a word from our sponsor, Anchor. All right, we are back, and I am extremely excited to announce our first guest of the Province Crier podcast. It's a man that needs no introduction uh, from the Big East circles, but um, he covers the Big East Conference through Big East Media. He also has done some play-by-play for FS1. Uh, You can find him on Twitter at John underscore Fanta. That's right. We have John Fanta with us. Welcome, John. Thanks for coming. Mike, Brendan, great to be on with you guys. I love the Providence Crier Twitter account. So (laughs) it's a lot of fun to have worlds collide here. Very pleased to join you guys tonight. It means that the season is just around the corner. Exactly. Um, And I'm super excited for the season. But before we get into uh, the Big East and the Friars, we want to start off with, with your background. Guy from uh, Cleveland, how do you end up covering the Big East? And, and, you know, how'd you get here? Well, when you grow up in Cleveland, Ohio, you eat, breathe, sleep, die. Cleveland sports. <laughs> I mean, all the time. Browns, Indians, Cavs. That inspired my love for sports. And I would watch games growing up, and I'd just be like, man, it's so cool that these guys get to talk about these players. I knew from, from an early age all the ho-hos I ate that I wasn't going to be able to have a professional <laughs> career doing this on the court of the field. So I thought, it's so cool that these guys get to do this. Went to St. Ignatius High School, um, well-known for great football through the years, great soccer and hockey, some football alums like Brian Hoyer, um, like LaCharles Bentley, Anthony Gonzalez, former Indianapolis Colt, uh, now in government. But the, the, I, I had the opportunity at Ignatius to be a part of their broadcasting network. Got a lot of reps. The voice sounded very different than it does now. Very thankful for that in high school. And then when I was looking at colleges, you know, I wanted to go to the metropolitan area because in my mind, that's where the opportunities were. And I looked at Fordham, Syracuse, St. Bonaventure, St. John's. I landed on this small Catholic school in South Orange, New Jersey, Seton Hall University. And, you know, I remember my dad was telling me when I was on the visit, Seton Hall had talked to me about, getting opportunities from my freshman year. And my dad was like, you know, this is Big East basketball. Like, this is Madison Square Garden. You could be covering Big East basketball as a freshman in college. Like, that's, there's some potential there. Definitely. And that's what led me to deciding uh, on Seton Hall. When you combine that and the people and the program and, and uh, a private institution, I, you know, I, I consider myself a person rooted in faith. And so I looked at all those things and it was really exciting to, to go there. And my freshman year at Seton Hall, and I, and I think this is why, part of the reason why there's been a happy marriage, I would say, between myself and, and this reconfigured Big East, my freshman year at Seton Hall was the first year of oh, the reconfigured Big East. So in terms of, you know, when I started covering Seton Hall in the league, everybody was talking to me about, us, oh, you know, the old Big East was really, really good. And there's nothing like the old Big East in terms of the, the, the class it was at at one point. But I 
had only ever learned and appreciated in terms of covering this version of the Big East, which has been tremendous yeah. uh, and is only going to keep being special. And so out of that, um, that's, that's where it all started. It was my first year at Seton Hall. And I actually got to my sophomore year, and the Big East emailed me, some of their broadcasting folks, and said, we would love to talk. We're looking to build up our talent um, and have some students report on our teams because they looked at it as, for their conference network at the time, an opportunity for them to groom students at their campuses, help them develop, but also get really experience, you know, real-time experience of covering these teams that we were already covering at the school. But then that's how I got into the Big East my sophomore year of college. And when I was deciding on my career um, in my senior year of college, the Big East happily, you know, asked if I'd host this new show, Shoot Around. And uh, out of that has come just a tremendous, a very, uh, I feel blessed, you know, a, a blessing, a blessing that's been covering the Big East Conference and doing it for Fox Sports, the Big East Digital Network, and several other entities. So I'm proud to to do it and it's been an absolute joy but that's how it started it started in cleveland ohio where i learned the love of sports that i still have today for those teams awesome yeah i mean you're a little bit younger than us but uh i can tell you that you didn't miss much of the old biggies for for schools like providence and uh Seton hall because it was pretty much you know you play in the opening round of the Big East tournament and then your season ends the next day. <laughs> when you know, yeah. I felt that passion from Providence fans the first year of the reconfigured league. You know, you go into that tournament and I remember kind of thinking, how's this going to work? What kind of attendance is the garden going to have? And that Big East championship game was, was it was so fitting that Providence, the charter member, yeah. the charter city, it was almost, Dave Gavitt looking down on the Big East basketball community saying, we're going to be okay. And it's been better than okay. But I thought that was so fitting that you had that night, you had the Providence Friars and the Creighton Blue Jays. So you had the best team in the country and all those Creighton fans, the sea of blue, of course, all Friartown came. It was really cool. And it showed kind of the new and the old meshing. And forming this night that uh, I still haven't forgotten and, and forming many nights that we have not forgotten and many more to come. It seems yeah. like it was only, it seems like it was only a moment, like a couple of days ago when McDermott hit that three from almost like half court and you're like, Oh my God. And he hit th- a couple in a row. You're like, Oh yeah, but that was a fantastic, uh, fantastic game. So have you established a pipeline from Cleveland to South orange? <laughs> <laughs> No, I haven't been able to do that. That's that's still on the docket of things to do, right? I mean, uh, you know, it's it's funny. That's that's something that there weren't a lot of kids that went to Seton Hall for my high school. My college counselor actually handed me a brochure, and she said, "There's this Seton Hill University." I go, you need <laughs> and uh, she goes, "Yeah." She goes, "You you should stop by there when you're going on some of your visits to Fordham and St. John's." Well, stop by. I ended up staying. You know. Yeah. And I, it ended up being that way. So what I like is some people actually think I, I might have gone to Providence because I do cover the Friars a fair amount. Yeah. I like that. I like when people say that because it shows that I'm doing my job. Exactly. There you go. Yeah, no bias whatsoever. <laughs> but um, so, we- so in terms of, you know, you did some play-by-play for Fox Sports sure. um, this past season. Um, you did some of the, the women's bees tournament, I believe. Yep. Um, we yeah. caught you for a Friar non-conference game, I believe. Is that in the docket for you this year? How's that going to look? Great question. And the answer right now is we really don't know. 
Um, I'm very happy to be the voice of Big East women's basketball for Fox Sports throughout the season. That's been a great package, you know, to, to pick up, and I'm excited that UConn's back in the Big East in that regard. You have a national championship contender you're calling games for throughout the season. On the men's side, guys, you know, right now it's a state of unknown. We really don't know what, what things are going to look like. Um, I do a fair amount of non-conference games. I can't wait. I mean, I, I mean this seriously. I can't wait till I get the call. Um, you know, I'm 25 right now, so, you know, I'm, I'm working as hard as possible. I can't wait to get the call to do a conference game yeah. because um, I love the fans in this league, and that I think that, that would, it would mean a lot to me, and, and um, I'm excited for that call when it does finally come. But right now we don't know. Right now, you know, um, with TV, there, there could be some remote coverage this year. Could be the majority of coverage this year. But, but we don't know what, what exactly coverage is going to look like, how many games there will be available. We'll see. I'm taking it all in stride right now and, and hopeful for the best uh, and prepared for whatever. I, I'll call a game from the bathroom. <laughs> and I'll call a game from the closet inside the Dunkin' Donuts Center. If it means that we're playing basketball – Bingo. Fair game. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Right? Amen. So what do you – so it's that's a good point. What do you think is going to happen with uh, the Big East? Are we going to go to conference only? Are we going to do bubbles or pods? Like what, what's, what do you think in your, in your mind? In my opinion, in my opinion, um, I think that it is going to be very difficult – for any league to get through the entirety of their slate without attempting to go to some sort of regionalized pods or a bubble structure for at least some time. Nobody's saying that you're going to a bubble for two months, but in my opinion, I think that we're staring at that reality. Mm -hmm. Because there's, there's two things that have to happen. If you're going to, to have the 14-day rule, yeah. That, if, that if someone tests positive, that you're basically eliminated from anything for 14 days, which is something that pro leagues to a degree have been able to overcome. And college football, even to a degree, has forged on. There's a lot more kids playing college football, but still. In my mind, you either have to figure out a modified, a modification to that 14-day CDC rule yeah. that you enact, or if you're not going to find a modification of that, then you've probably got to bubble or pot up. Because, you know, if you're eliminating two weeks of a team season, not only is that team getting impacted, but two, three, four other teams are getting impacted as well. So I just – I personally think that we're staring at the reality of some point having to do some bubbles and pods. Maybe we see a portion of the conference schedule. You know, maybe the start in that conference schedule, campus sites. But I think that, that you're looking at January and February as a number of options, but potentially some sort of a bubble or pod. And I say this as my opinion, you know, yeah, yeah. this is not something that we know a lot of right now. There's so many things up in the air. For sure. Yeah. And how has that changed your job? You kind of, you mentioned earlier before we, um, you know, started recording that you're doing Big East Media Day tomorrow. We won't be airing this till next week, but you're going to Big East Media Day uh, tomorrow on Wednesday. Going. So, or, yeah, going. You said you're staying uh, at your place. So how has, yeah. like, COVID changed your role as, like, a guy that covers the sport? Well, my commute tomorrow is seven steps. <laughs> I'm getting up, turning over at probably 730, probably the earliest I've woken up. Um, going to the shower, 
getting on my button down and blazer. And for all we know, I could be in pajama pants underneath it. And I'm going to sit here and talk to coaches and players, maybe put myself, put, take my screen off for 10 minutes, go grab a Starbucks iced coffee while Ed Cooley continues and, <laughs> and come back and keep going. I mean, that's what has changed. No, Big East Media Day is normally at the garden. Yeah. It is so poetic that the place at which we end is the place at which we begin. But this year, we're beginning virtually. Yeah. So it's uh, it's weird. It's different. Uh, I It has changed a lot. I mean, I'm probably going to be covering a lot of games from home. But I will say this, because a lot of these teams are going to be doing pregame and postgame Zooms, you know, it's actually going to allow for – um, me to be a part of more media availabilities and potentially get some more coverage of teams because typically I'd be going on site to do that. We'll be able to do some interesting things virtually. And I actually think I'll end up covering more games, even though we'll be doing it from home. I think I'll be able to see even more and, and talk with coaches and players even more because of the degree of things virtually being done. That's a good point. You're not traveling as much. You're probably going to have some more, we'll call it quote-unquote free time, so you'll be able to get some more quantity of games and interviews. That's a really good point. Yeah, you know, it could cover a doubleheader and, and could kind of almost like if you're a fan base following me for updates, we'll just go from one game to another, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, and observe. I actually have some ideas. I don't know what you guys think of this, but of potentially hosting some Zooms just for any fans or followers who would want to have this as a second screen. You know, you'd have the game on TV, but we'd all be in a Zoom room and we could talk basketball. Yeah, I love that idea. I mean, uh, you do your fan lives on Twitter. Uh, I've been on them a few times, and those are awesome. I mean, just to get, like, the fan perspective, um, that's a really cool thing you do. And you brought on um, – pardon me if I'm pronouncing his name wrong, but Zach uh, Braziller. Yeah, we yeah. brought on Zach Braziller. Yep, and so he was answering questions from, um, you know, the various fan accounts and – I love that idea. I think that's great to get engagement. You have to engage with fans. I, I think it's so important. I mean, you know, these guys who get frustrated by stuff, I, I appreciate it. It's all in good fun. It's part of sports, and especially in college basketball. You know, we, we got to grow the game as much as we can. It's, mm -hmm. it's a game that sometimes can get lost in the shuffle, and I think it's exciting to, to continually grow. And I think, you know, hopefully we – things go as according to plan this season and that we've got plenty of hoops to talk about for sure. Awesome. Um, well, I think we're going to pivot over to the conference then let's forget about, you know, the COVID talk and all that. Um, in terms of, of this year, I mean, obviously I've heard your tears of, of the teams in the big East, um, you know, Creighton and, and Villanova are in your number one tier. And, you know, I, I think that's, that's pretty fair to say, you know, a lot of people are saying that. Now, do you see a team outside that maybe in your tier two that can actually make a legitimate run for the regular season conference title? And you don't have to say Providence. No. <laughs> well, I, I just don't see. Here's the thing. When I said that that was tier one, I need to make a clarification. And people are not going to like this, but it is just a fact. Like, let's call a spade a spade here. Tier one is one team. Yeah. <laughs> it's Villanova. I They're agree. They're not going to get touched. In fact, I'm going to bring up two reasons why, in my opinion. One, they only lose Sadiq Bay. They return virtually everybody. They have 
one of the best point guards in America, maybe the best in Colin Gillespie. They have the supporting cast members. Justin Moore is ready to take off and have a breakout sophomore year. I think he could be a Big East Player of the Year candidate. That's how good I think he is. Jeremiah Robinson Earl is a really, really good rebounder. They bring in a couple of additions in Eric Dixon, a redshirt freshman, Caleb Daniels, a Tulane transfer. This team, they still have some unknowns with Cole Swider, with Brian Antoine, the sophomore, well, second-year Villanova player who, you know, last year didn't really come into his own, didn't get the opportunity to, and was hurt. Jay Wright has all the pieces. And two, I actually like Villanova potentially in a fanless environment. You know, the culture sounds cheesy, but that team just, they will themselves without having to go to the dunk or the Prudential Center or Creighton, you know, in terms of a crowd being there that's just causing problems for a visiting team. I just think it's really hard to say that Villanova would get caught at one. No one is catching Villanova at the top. That said, UConn, Providence, and Seton Hall are all capable of finishing second in this league. But I'm not going to sit here and start saying that there's a team in this conference that's going to take over Villanova at number one. I think that that would be a real hot take. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, they're, they're a machine. Um, but um, And on top of that, it's good that you didn't pick Providence because, fun fact, they've never won a regular season Big East title, only the conference tournament. So yeah. Providence, smart move to title, Providence wins the title of mid to late February, beginning of March. Exactly. Yeah. Which is fine. I think – I think the point you bring up, I remember I was at the Providence-Villanova game in Philly, and uh, Villanova had a little bit of a clunker of a game. But Justin Moore, I remember looking at him play and just being like, wow, this kid is a player. And then when you can say Brian Antoine, who's a McDonald's All-American, if I recall, five-star, and you're mentioning him in, as a sixth or seventh player on their team, that's, I mean, that just shows the depth of their team, right? It does. They're filled with depth, and they have – the veteran leaders, I didn't even mention Jermaine Samuels and what he does for them as a senior in their front court. They just have all the pieces that you would want in a national championship caliber team. Yeah. And I think when you have Gillespie as the head of the snake there, if Villanova stays healthy, they're going to be very difficult to beat uh, because they not only have that perimeter attack, but they're going to be able to rebound the basketball pretty well. Robinson Earl does that really well. He averaged nearly a double-double as a freshman. And then Samuels, and I really like Dixon. I think that Eric Dixon is not getting talked about a whole lot. I'm interested to see, you know, he could be a guy that only plays 10 minutes a game, but I'm interested to see what he brings to the table. His game reminds me a little bit of Eric Paschal. We might not see it right away. We might see it in two to three years. Villanova's at the top of this league. I, again, go with Villanova from one. I don't think Creighton's a firm two, but they have enough to be two. Zegarowski's my biggest reason why. I think he's the player of the year in this league. Three, four, five's all interchangeable. You know, and I, I'm teetering. I, I go in different directions every day, it seems like. One day I've got UConn three, Providence yeah. four, Seton Hall five. One day I see a circumstance where Seton Hall finishes third because Mamu Kelashvili is such a weird matchup for opposing teams. And Kevin Willard's done a great job with that program. One day it's, it's Providence. For Providence, it comes down to one thing. Are they hitting perimeter shots? Yep. Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen 
them struggle to do that and then you know that's that's an under that's an understatement yeah Yeah. (laughs) a bunch of terrible non-conference opponents yeah and i and that you know i gotta say though guys nobody nobody could have seen the way last year ended up going the way it did i mean how that team was about to make the ncaa tournament was beyond anyone's imagination you know i had that team dead and buried i know i think everybody did yeah I mean, you literally. I mean, you could say you could say about Cooley. You could say, well, you know, it shouldn't have been that bad in the first place, and that's fair argument. But if you're going to criticize, you got to credit the fact that they came back came from back the, the way they did. Yeah, I will say, you know, in order to get out of that hole, it literally took in his a historic month of February, the first team ever in college basketball to beat five ranked opponents in a single month. So literally, it took a miracle to get them. Uh, you know, in firm footing um, for the NCAA tournament last year that ultimately doesn't happen. Um, In terms of that team, how far do you think they could have gone? Because, you know, obviously the big question in Firetown is Ed Cooley in the tournament. We only have one win um, against USC, a game I actually went to. It was pretty awesome. But uh, how far do you think that team could have gone last season? You know, I think they could have won a game in the tournament. And I, I think that they probably, it, it's all matchup based. Right. So it just depends on who that second round opponent is. Of course they could have pulled off a surprise and won that game too. You know, that, that team was no better than a, a sweet 16 team at best. I think that they're a win loss sequence team in the NCAA. Yeah. I think they're one win and then out. But, you know, when you talk about the tournament, there's 353 teams in this sport. Providence fans want to be one of the four left. Okay, yeah. so that means 349 other teams are out. You know, and I get it. I mean, that's what a fan should want. You know, if you're reaching for the stars, it's what you should want. The fact is, it's just so hard to get to that final 16. Yeah. It is hard. And so to say that Providence could have been that last year, they weren't, they weren't reliable enough on the offensive end of the floor to be that type of team, but they could have won a game. In the tournament, I think that that was their ceiling, though. It's round of thirty-two. Yeah, I think you could you could hang your hat on defense, but if you don't if you don't make shots, you can only go so far. You can only rely on the defense for so long. Yeah, and they need something more stable at the point guard spot. Lawan Pipkins was very good down the stretch in this season, but he was very bad at times last season as well. Yeah. And so for the Friars, that's why I like the combination that I'm seeing here with Jared Bynum, who's got pace who reminds him of Kyron Cartwright. You have Duke and Reeves with a point guard like that. I see results. I see big-time results potentially with Providence basketball because you've got a point guard who's going to distribute, facilitate, can make plays on the fly. Duke and Reeves can feed off that. Okay, if that doesn't work out, I think that Bryson Goodine is going to get a waiver. He's waiting to to be a guy that contributes and, and serves kind of as another guard. This team has options. The Friars have options in their backcourt. Now is the time, though, for David Duke and A.J. Reeves to play to the level they were recruited at. It's as simple as that. For Providence to be a second-weekend team, they need those two guys to deliver. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you look at Reeves when he, came, when he first came to the Friars his freshman year. He was on fire. First game against Siena, he was lighting it up. And then the foot injury – he has the game at BC where he hits, you know, the, the shots ascended to overtime – and then the foot injury, and it just seems like he's never been able to get in the rhythm since then. And then you look at Duke, you know, 
Duke at Creighton last year was unbelievable. Yeah. Ultimately, it was it was Zigarowski who hit the game winning shot, but Duke that game was was unbelievable, thirty plus points. Um, obviously, we're not gonna expect that from them, but they need to definitely show they can you know carry the scoring load a little bit more. A little more, yeah, more Reeves, Reeves has to be able to dial it up from distance on a consistent basis. Duke has to hit the fifteen foot shot, you know, and be able to attack. For Providence. They need those two players to deliver their capabilities because for Providence, they did lose six seniors. Yeah. You lose a lot of veteran leadership. And in the front court, I think it's really interesting because Nate Watson's going to be expected to hold down the five slot. Can Nate Watson stay out of foul trouble? You we know, got to change the rules. Six foul. Like, let's make it the NBA so Nate Watson doesn't foul. It would be good for Nate Watson to have that, to have a six foul. But when he's in there, when he's playing good basketball, we know what he's capable of he at times can take over a game, at least for a portion of it. Mm-hmm. At the four spot, there's some unknown. You have Greg Gant, you have Noah Hortzler. There's some unknowns there. So for Providence, what is known is the capabilities that that backcourt has. Those guys have to perform to that level. We know that Duke can lock anybody up defensively. Yep. He, he is a really good defender. But you got to be able to contribute offensively consistently to be an all-Big East first-team selection, which I think he is. I think he's that good of a player, mm-hmm. but now he's, he's got to kind of show us. I completely agree. So I think like the casual fan, they know about Duke, they know about Reeves, to a lesser extent they know about Watson. Who's somebody that may not be on the casual fan's radar that they will know about as a Providence fan at the end of the year, in your opinion? A Providence player? Yeah. Well, I think that that player – that's a good question. Maybe like a Greg Gant, maybe? I think Greg Gant. I mean, that's yeah. my pick because he does all the little things that Ed Cooley wants. You're going to stay on the floor if you defend and you hustle and you get after loose balls. Greg Gant is that player. He's highly athletic, but he does the little things. You know, that's something that they were hoping Jimmy Nichols could kind of fall into that category. We haven't really seen that translate. Gant, he does all the things that you really can't coach. Yeah. The question for Gant is – offensively, what is he able to do for this team? Is he able to find a bit of a rhythm? Which is the question a lot of times for the Friars, but collectively. But I think that Gant is someone who you don't know a lot about that really is going to come out of the scene um, next season, and, and this upcoming season. You yeah. know, with Gant, last year he did lose a parent. It was a tough year for him mentally, I know. And you're a freshman. Right. A lot being thrown at you. I, I think he's got a clear head. I think he's ready to go for this year. I think we'll be talking more about him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, me personally, I, I, I do think Noah Horchler will get the start at the power forward to start the season. Obviously, that can change based on uh, Gant's development. And obviously, like you said, I mean, if you play defense, Cooley's going to, you know, give you your minutes. Um, for me, I kind of see him as like a um, uh, Dijon Giroux from Houston last year transfer from UMass. Um, he didn't – he played starters minutes, but only started like 10 games for, for Houston. But similar type player, athletic, uh, can defend. Offensively, you really don't know what you're going to get at that point. But So I see Gant as a guy, as like a super six man, if you will. Um, yeah, I, I like that categorization. There's been great six men in the Big East that have gone on to do some tremendous things. You know, I think it was back in – 2015, Josh Hart is the Big East Sixth Man of the Year, and later in the week he wins Big East Tournament Most Outstanding Player. 
And now he's in the NBA, and we all know what he's doing for the Pelicans. So, you know, you can be a six-man that ends up being a, a real talented player. And Gant just his athleticism, it's so, so strong that coming off the bench, it gives you a different dimension when you can bring that type of player, that type of athlete, off the bench. Hey, John, who's, who's a freshman uh, that's coming into the Big East that everybody's going to know about towards the end of the season? Like, I'm thinking about uh, – the. go ahead. There's no question who that is, in my opinion. And his name is Andre Jackson, and he is a UConn Husky. This yeah. kid has a high motor. He is beyond his years of maturity. We're going to know about him. I think he's a really talented player. And on the wing with R.J. Cole, the Howard transfer coming in to, to be the point guard, James Booknight, a guy that's helping Jackson become accustomed to what he's going to see. Booknight's going to take up a lot of teams' attentions. So I look at the opportunity for Jackson to come in, and because UConn has a really good front court with Isaiah Whaley and Adama Sonogo, a cook, a cook, you know, they, they have a couple other players as well who are returnees. I like the idea of Jackson being able to come in and make an immediate impact for the UConn Huskies. I think he's the freshman of the year in this conference this upcoming season. I know that wow. Dawson Garcia at Marquette has received a lot of attention, but I really, really like what I'm seeing from Andre Jackson. Might be a little bit bullish to pick him as a top freshman, but I'm going to go with it. Awesome. Yeah, I, yeah I, I think that's a good segue because we did want to talk about one of the big storylines. Obviously, UConn coming back to the Big East this year. Um, you know, it, the hype is certainly there. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of hype around a guy like Jackson. Uh, there's a lot of hype about what UConn can do being back in the conference. Um, so, I mean, I, it sounds like you're pretty high on them. So, so, you know, what do you think they do year one and then, you know, moving forward in the Big East? I think that this UConn team – is in a position in year one to be in the top five of the league. But based on what they're doing on the recruiting trail, you know, they're, they're going to have the second or third best recruiting class next season. They're going to consistently have a top two or three class in the Big East. They're positioned to win the conference here at some point in the next three or four years. It's not going to happen right now, but I think that they can be right there with Villanova, at least on the recruiting end. The question is, can Dan Hurley make this transition and translate into wins. But you look at what they're doing in 2021 in recruiting, and it speaks for itself. You look at what they, what they were able to do with Adama Sonogo. They picked up. It was rumored that he was going to head to Seton Hall. You know, that's a tough thing here. Providence and Seton Hall fans don't want to hear that because UConn is able to get some kids that, that they might otherwise be in on, and that's just the dynamic there. So my expectation for UConn is the expectation that they have. You know, one thing about the Huskies is, People say the last couple years haven't been kind to them. It's been bad. Yeah, they've gone through some darkness, but they were only, they're only six years removed from winning a national championship. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't been that long. UConn, to me, is a program that should be in contention every year for a conference title. I don't think this year is a year that that's going to happen because Villanova's on just such another level, but I expect the Huskies to finish in the top five of the league and if you're finishing in the top five of this league, you're probably getting a, a solid NCAA tournament bid. Yeah, for sure. For, for me, you know, I just worry about, you know, the, the hype with UConn in terms of, you know, they're coming back to the Big East and they kind of just expect 
to, to be at the top. And you look at when the Big East was reconfigured, you look at a team like Georgetown, they were a team that, you know, their program kind of felt the same way. They were just in a new configured Big East, they'd be able to dominate like Villanova has. And that hasn't been the case. So that's my one concern with, with, with UConn. Do you think there's any validity to that or? Well, to the idea that they would dominate? No, that, that they, would, they would do the opposite because they expected to come in and dominate the conference. Well, I don't that's get the sense that they're expecting to come in and dominate this league. Yeah. I think that they're expecting to come in and compete. But I think maybe they have a Texas flair to them, what Texas football has been lately, which has been kind of underwhelming. I just don't sense that, guys, and I think they're doing too well. I mean, we could go look at their 2021 class, and you it's can amazing. see yeah. it's, it's an amazing class. Um, and, and you look at what they have. James Booknight is probably the – if I were to start picking players in this league, you know, after Gillespie and Zagorowski, I would take Sandra Mamoukalash really because of his skill set being so yep. unique. Like to have a six foot eleven guy who can take you on the dribble and and beat you that way and, and shoot the three, but I would James Booknight is is such a special talent. He averaged seventeen points per game over his last ten games of his freshman year. You know that's not a fluke, and you could say it's in the American, but but come on, I mean this this is a UConn team that really came on at the end of last year. They've got positive momentum. Hurley needed a couple years. The timing couldn't be better. So I don't think they're going to be a back end of the conference team. I think they are going to be in the top five, and they're here to stay. I just, I just have that sense. Maybe, maybe I'm being far-fetched in saying they're going to be contending with Villanova at the top. Maybe, maybe that's true. But if we looked at Providence, Seton Hall, UConn, um, Creighton, and if we looked at those teams and we said – you know, of those teams, who's got the best chance to, to compete with Villanova? In recruiting, assets, money, brand, fans, UConn, because they're a state school, is there. I completely agree. And I know, I know Mike planted this question because he's a closet Husky fan, so that's, no, that's okay. okay. Are you really? No, not at all. How could you possibly be a closet Husky fan and be a Providence crier? You see, you know, that's the question I asked, John. Corley keeps telling me that I'm this closet UConn fan. It's ridiculous. It was just because I, I agree with you in terms of them being good for the, the brand of the Big East and further promoting the league um, to, to do well. I mean, I think they're a fantastic ad. But believe me, by no means do I think uh, or I'm a fan of the program. Not at all. John, John made an awesome point, though, about the – landing recruits that traditionally may have gone to Providence or Seton Hall. And that was one of my biggest hesitancies. It's like guys from the Northeast, specifically New England, who may go to a Seton Hall, to a Providence, to a St. John's. Now we have to deal with another big power in UConn. So that's an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the main storylines here as we go forward. But that's where coaching matters. Yep. And Evan Willard and Ed Cooley are two of the longer tenured coaches at their respective schools. And – Cooley more so than Willard, they're not going anywhere. You know, Cooley's not going anywhere. He turned down Michigan. He's at Providence to stay. That's a good thing. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I, I saw on Twitter, like, uh, Penn State being interested. I'm like, listen, if he's not going to Michigan, he's not going to Penn State. There is no chance of that happening. <laughs> Zero. It's, it's got as much of a chance as Jay Wright leaving for the 76ers. It ain't happening. Yeah. 
All right, so I guess we'll, we'll kind of, in closing, we'll, we'll pivot to, you know, a little more fun questions. Uh, Whatever you got. Yeah. So who, so give us your favorite Ed Cooley story. You know, obviously you've come down, you've gone to LaSalle Bakery with him. Uh, so do you have any story that, that hasn't really, you know, that we're unaware of, of Cooley? Ed, um, we spent a week at the Pan American Games training camp last summer with all these Big East players, and Ed Cooley's the head coach of the team. And Ed hosted the whole team and everybody that's working with the team, and I was covering the team. Ed hosted everybody for a cookout at his house. And um, they're having fun. Ed's doing a cannonball in his backyard pool. And he walks up to Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels, and uh, Colin says, you know, this, this is the most fun I've had. And Ed goes, yeah, you play for Villanova, man. <laughs> That's a great one. Uh, they, they, they don't call Villanova fun for nothing, right? Right, right. <laughs> That's what Ed said. They're playing cornhole. Ed's beating up on players in cornhole. And he's, you know, he's taking all these players and he's brainwashing them into friars for the week. Jay Wright was probably back in his house like, oh, man. <laughs> what are they planning in these kids' brains? But – you know, that, that's just one. And then just how down-to-earth that is. I mean, it's true. It's not, not a fluke. He's just a down-to-earth guy and a coach uh, who loves his players more than anything and is always going to stand up for them. You know, Ed, typically on me, for media day, a fun fact, Ed will come into the city a, a day or two before. He'll get sized for a suit. You know, he'll, he'll do the big fitting. And he's yeah. got a guy in New York City. He gears up for media day. He he takes that seriously, and I and then I think I think he and his guys go to I want to say Carmines uh, for a nice. little stir and and for some fun before Big East Media Day. So that's the other thing; it's typically an experience for the players. Anytime sure. you get to be in New York, not having that this year is certainly tough. But uh, you know, that's who Ed Cooley is. It's it's a basketball coach, and it's and it's much much more. Uh, he's he's a trip and a half. Awesome. Some great great stories, John. Hey, who um, in your time covering the Big East, some of your one of your favorite athletes that's ever played in the Big East to cover? Who uh, name a few guys? Oh man, um, some of my favorites to cover. JP McCure at Xavier always comes to mind. He's he's a one of a kind kid. You know, Angel Delgado at Seton Hall was always good for a quote, and he was so yeah. highly energetic. He was a lot of fun. To cover Phil Booth at Villanova could be funny and interesting and could give you something. When he went off in the national championship game in 2016, it was a lot of fun to talk with him after the game. He was with his family. That was cool. So that's another one. Kamar Baldwin at Butler. Great guy. Class act. Yes, sir. No, sir. He's from uh, Winder, Georgia, all the way down south and just a, just a great all-around guy. So those are, those are a couple of the guys I covered. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that comes to mind. Marcus Howard was a, was always a joy to cover, always great in giving me time and, and perfect. Max Struess. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then at, at Providence, um, I mean, I really do enjoy covering David Duke because he is a class act, and David's very good in his answers and being candid. So mm-hmm. I a good interview. Some of these guys, you know, they give you the cliche lines and it's like sure. – but right. David, David really, he, he puts a lot into what he says. So on this current Friars team, I, I would certainly put him there. And I love my man, Andrew Fonts. 
<laughs> Fonsi's uh, quickly, be you know, I feel like the walk-ons at Province always like kind of become legendary and he's definitely- Cold heroes, yeah. <laughs> Gotta love Fonsi, who hit a three against St. Peter's. Yeah. <laughs> That's the game you call, right? Yeah. Is that the game you call? Yeah. Well, St. Peter's and NJIT. Yes. Um, okay, so I know you, you and Brennan were talking about this earlier uh, before we started here. But what's it like to be a Browns fan? Well, right now it's absolutely outstanding. I mean, I feel like this is just the best. I've got the hottest date for the first time <laughs> ever. I mean, it's amazing. You know, this is what we expected last year from the Cleveland Browns. And they hired a guy who just was not cut out for the head coaching job in Freddie Kitchens and really treating it like a college-type job. He was going to unify everybody and make it a team and hard-nosed. Kevin Stefanski's composed. He's calm, cool, and collected. I love the way that he's come in and really gotten his team to buy into what they're doing. You don't see much drama. Sure, Baker Mayfield's had a couple of tough performances, but you are what your record says you are. And what he did against the Bengals, this is the NFL – you know, the Bengals might only have one win. They've been in a number of games. They were up 21 yeah. on the Colts. Yeah. You know, you've you got to find a way to win. The Browns are finding ways to win after two decades of finding new ways to lose. <laughs> to lose. <laughs> this is a welcome sight for Cleveland. The irony is it's 2020, and the only good thing in Cleveland is the Browns, which is just strange. Yeah. And it's a joy. It's a joy to watch, and I'm excited for what's to come a playoff berth for this team would just be a welcome sight. I think for NFL fans everywhere, like Cleveland's in the playoffs. I'm going to watch this game. It's good to see the Browns, you know, back in the postseason. You're talking about one of the very best. I'm serious. And I mean this, I, I don't mean this tongue in cheek and I know I'm biased, but I think you'll agree. Cleveland Browns fans who have stuck with this team as long as they have, they are as good as any fan base in the national football league. It's a great a great fan base. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been to Cleveland a couple times for uh, work, and the, the city's great. And like you said, sticking with the team through the ups and downs, you know, you, you, root, for, you root for them when they have some uh, success. Yeah. Long gone are the days of uh, drafting Johnny Manziel in the first round. Long gone are those days. Who? Johnny who? <laughs> exactly. I'm hey, on um, baby, and Case Keenum's my backup. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so – I uh, know you're in Hoboken. I used to, I lived in Hoboken for four or five years, um, prior to where I'm at now. Favorite pizza place in Hoboken? Wow. Uh, I do love Napoli's. Napoli's I love yeah. a slice of Napoli's. You know, Benny Tadino's. I mean, any place that makes a slice that big is, is something that I'm a fan of. So I like Benny's. I do order Johnny Pepperoni a fair amount, and I like Johnny Pepperoni. I know some people actually knock me for that. I like Johnny Pepperoni. I like it a lot, yeah. I like it. I love the sausage and the pepperoni. I think it's it's top-notch. And then uh, Grimaldi's is good, too. Napoli's would be one. I mean, it's probably the best slice I've had. Have you gone to uh, 10th Street Pizza across from 10th and Willow yet? No. Go, give it a try. It's a it's a sit-down place, but it's a, it's a great place. Highly Add recommended. Add to my list. Add it to my list. I love Hoboken Eats. Yeah. Uh, I, had, I just had lunch last week at Zach's. Cool. And I loved it. Great yeah. place in town. Excellent food. Did you say your favorite place to eat in Providence was Andino's? 
Did you say that? Oh, so Andino's is my original love. Okay. As time has gone on, Old Canteen has become a second love. I love the vibe in there. You know, I got when you enjoy a dinner with Bill Raftery in there, it also changes your opinion <laughs> of the place. I mean, I got to go to dinner with Raft at a dinner that I was underqualified for, um, <laughs> but ended up, you know, Raft did not want to stop partying. I mean, of my God, <laughs> I mean, my God, he could have drank the entire night. If, That's uh, amazing. Yeah, you know, and he's just the best. But uh, those would be my two. And okay, Dino, well, I was going to say, and Dino's is my favorite. It's just, yeah, and I like going into Angelo's because apparently that's where the Big East was formed over lunch at Angelo's. I did not know that. I yeah. didn't know that either. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, so I always get the mozzarella sticks. All right, so, well, I'm big. I'm telling you right now, I am a mammoth mozzarella sticks guy. I love mozzarella sticks too. I mean, I have to get them if I go to a restaurant. I'm not kidding you. Like, I, like it's done. So even, <laughs> if it's, even if it's fancy Italian, you're having a little side of mozzarella. Oh, no question at all. I mean, no, no question. You know, growing up in Ohio, um, Midwest family, you go out to dinner, it's a treat, you know, and, and when I'm growing up as a kid, you know, you get, you get what you want as your entree. Dad would never enforce, but we're not getting a bunch of appetizers. You're going to be in the clean play club and you're getting what you get. Yeah. I get out here in the Northeast, start going out to dinner around here. Let's get an appetizer. What are we having for a salad? Oh, you don't... You, I mean, come on, that's the freshman 15 became the freshman 30 awfully quickly. <laughs> one of these dinners during basketball season, I got cuts of meat I've never seen. That's hilarious. Well, um, let's see. I think we got one more for you. Uh, did Ben Bentel foul Ryan Archidiacono in, in uh, the Big East tournament a few years back? No. Awesome. Thank you. Thank that, you. That's all we needed to hear, John. I mean, I mean, again, you know, okay, so here's, here's the pet peeve on this. So if when you go to criticize a, quote, Big East official, okay, we all watch a lot of Big East basketball. So for us, that's, that's what it is. What I have to do this with, and I don't tweet about it because I, I don't get into officiating because it's officiating. It's like in another world. Is these guys end up doing Final Fours and national championship games. And that's assigned by the NCAA. So, like, it's weird to me because the Big East uses the officials that are being used on the bets. The Big East has an alliance with the ACC and the Atlantic 10. These are the officials that are calling Mike Krzyzewski games. So it's not as if, like, you know when people are like, oh, get new officials. What are we going to do, make a trade with the Big 12? You know what I mean? Like, like it's like, it would be one thing if we could just replace the officials with other officials, but it's like, you don't, I don't know where you would start. Oh, yeah. So we have this alliance that, that makes sense, but I, I, don't, I don't know. And, I, and I'll be honest with you. I know these officials. You see them throughout the season. You see them in hotel lobbies. You talk with them. Yeah. A lot of them are nice guys. Like all of us, nobody's perfect. Exactly. They're going to make wrong calls. Guess what? If a game comes down to a call, there's probably an instance in the game that you say shouldn't have happened or shouldn't have done that. So you can both call a call bad and understand the fact that nobody's going to get new officials 
Nobody in the Big East is clamoring for, we need new officials. Because these guys are calling the best games. If consistently every year a Big East ref wasn't working a Final Four National Championship game, you'd probably say, does the Big East have the best officials? But if it's the best basketball conference and they're constantly focused on basketball, wouldn't you think, and this is just logic, that they would have officials that are respected by Dan Gabbett? They do. But like everybody, there's been calls, there's been games that have been poorly called. I will tell you, I will tell you this story that I've never told before. Okay. Exclusive. Exclusive story. I am not going to name any names. It's a no names, please story. It's a no names, please. But I'm just going to tell you that this, that this happens. I have seen an instance during a game that I've been watching with someone who is a power that be call up a, an officially officiating head and say, I don't think that this official is cut out to continue to do our games this season. Wow. <laughs> that official has not done another, you know, had not done another game than that season. Wow. So when, when everybody says, are these officials getting evaluated? I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you, sometimes there are letter of the law calls that are bad to us, but they're following the, you know, maybe rules that are too enforced, but oh, it's yeah. the rule. Yeah. But we got to keep in mind, like, these guys do get assessed. They do get assessed. And I think sometimes early on in the NCAA tournament, we see games with too many foul calls because the official's trying to go by the letter of the law because that's what the NCAA is going to like. Yeah. You know, we, we kind of have to get more the objective and subjective and the hate with some of the praise. But officials, we only, we only talk about them when they get things wrong. I'm just trying to explain both sides of the story here. Yeah, sure. I mean, I obviously upset about the call when it happened, but then the day a bad call. We're all human. Uh, and you know, I used to get worked up over the refs, and but now with age, I think you know, just it, you not know, worth it. go out, find a way to win the game. Right. You know, exactly. Great play game, and you lose based on a bad call. It stinks. Yeah. Um, but find a way to win the game. You know, the Seton Hall Marquette debacle two years ago. So it happens. Did the better team win the game? Yeah. Yeah, they did. Seton Hall still, amongst everything that happened, found a way to win that yep. game. Yep. And in my opinion, they were the, they were a better team than Marquette, and yep. it almost beat Villanova the next night. Like, good teams overcome a whistle. And also for those people saying Villanova gets a whistle – I'm sorry, they're Villanova. Right. Sometimes they get the benefit of the doubt. Like a, like a hitter gets the benefit of the doubt in his strike. Yeah. It's yeah. how it works. It's part of sports. Like LeBron will get, will get a call that, you know. The LeBron guy. gets calls, yeah. So if you think that they probably get calls, well, maybe they do. Deal with it. It's sports. Hey, John, one last quick one before we go. How far does that Marquette team go if the Housers don't transfer? Wow. I've always wondered that. Last year, well, obviously things got, you know, cut off. That team, to me, I would have put in the, in the Elite Eight conversation. Yeah. I wouldn't sit here and say Final Four. I didn't think that they were good enough defensively. Marquette is a little too soft in the post. Yeah. I'm expecting them to be different because they bring in Dawson Garcia, Ose Godaro, Justin Lewis. Marquette is the team that I'm most intrigued by heading into this season. I don't know what they're going to be. They could end up being good. They could also end up being Eight or nine or ten. Yeah. I mean, it could end up being a back half, bottom third. They could also be a team that surprises us because they have a different look. Does DJ Carden, the Ohio State transfer, pan out? Sure. 
Sure. He and Kobe McEwen are going to be working together. I like McEwen. I think he's a he's an interesting player. Junkyard dog mentality. Puts his head down. Plays hard for Wojo. Marquette's going to be very different. I wonder if Wojo, with this recruiting class, they're his guys, highly talented yeah. class. Maybe maybe they're different. Maybe that's better for them in the long run. I'm actually yeah, yeah. I think I might be a believer in the you know, not that. You know, when you have a guy like Howard, yeah, he can fill it up in the score sheet. But, like, you know, you got to move the ball. You got to get people involved. So, I mean, I think, you know, it'll be it'll definitely be interesting to see what Marquette can do, yeah. you know, post uh, Marcus Howard, for sure. Yeah, interesting team. I'm, I'm very intrigued to see what the middle of this league looks like. You have Marquette who loses Howard, Butler who loses Baldwin, Xavier who – Turn the ball over too much last year. Their backcourt's young. How do those guys factor in? And St. John's, it appears that there's a foundation laid. Do they turn a corner now despite losing LJ Figueroa? They might. They might, but we keep saying that about St. John's every year, and then it doesn't happen. Yeah. And that's unfair to Anderson, but that's, that's the thing that St. John's has to climb over. Six through nine in this league, flip a coin. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I love Mike Anderson at St. John's. Being- I do. I just yeah. think it's a good fit. Like, he's running gun. You know, you can get guys from the New York area that are running gun. Like, I think, you know, it, it was – when they hired him, a lot of people questioned it. You know, that's weird. This guy's never coached, like, above the Mason-Dixon line in his career. But uh, I think he's been a great fit, and I think I think St. John's is going to be trending up. We'll, we'll see this year, but who knows. But We'll see. They need Greg Williams to be consistent on the offensive end of the floor. Uh, I've heard Posh Alexander, the freshman, is going to make an immediate impact and could be in the starting lineup. That's Posh wild. Alexander's big time. Julian Champagny's taken a huge climb as well. He's a guy that could be an all-Big East second-team player and even next year be a first-team type player. He's six foot eight. He averaged 14 and 8 over his final eight games last year. I love his game. Awesome. Yeah. All right, well, one final question before we let you go. You know, obviously we'll be airing this after Halloween – but last year, you did the Halloween candy segment on Biggie's Shoot-Around. Is that going to return? The people need to know. Okay, so because there's so much going on this week, you know, I was in a content meeting yesterday, and I, I genuinely felt bad for my content editor and producer because he has so much stuff this week for Media Day. I yeah. did not throw the Halloween on him. I might do my own, you know, walk and talk, a, a watered-down version Ed Cooley's a baby Ruth, okay? I feel like the baby Ruth gets counted out, but it tastes so, so good once you have it. Um, Jay Wright is still a Reese's peanut butter cup. Now I'm comparing coaches, not just teams, but coaches. Jay Wright is still a Reese's peanut butter cup. Um, Kevin Willard is a Snickers because when he's not him, he can be a mean ball guy. When he is him, it tastes, it tastes good. He's not him when he's hungry. Uh, Greg McDermott is – let's see. Greg McDermott's kind of like a take five. There's a total package there. Very versatile, very versatile coach. Yeah, so um, like you don't think you're throwing – Three musketeers. You know, I could, I could go on and on and on. Dave Lato's kind of a Kit Kat bar. Okay, I digress. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you don't get time to do it this year for Halloween, you can always push it to Thanksgiving and just do, uh, you know. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving meals, Thanksgiving yeah. Idea. Yeah. It's in my head. We'll have to have a content meeting. All right. Well, that was John Fanta. Again, you can follow him at John underscore Fanta on Twitter. 
Um, we look forward to hearing from you all season, John. Thanks for coming on again. Thanks so much, John. Gentlemen, thanks so much. Appreciate right. it. Done recording, Mike? Um, not yet, but I can always cut that part out. No. Well, thank, thanks so much, John. All right, we're back. Um, hope you all enjoyed that interview with John Fanta. Um, you know, what we alluded to at, at the top, I, uh, I think it pre pretty much resonated with Fanta that he's passionate about the Big East and all that. I, uh, Brent, I just can't believe you told him that I'm a Closet UConn fan, which I'm not. You are. That's okay. It, I've never, I've never seen, I've never seen somebody so overjoyed to have a program like UConn join the Big East. Uh, you do remember that they left us at the altar many, many years ago, right? And the only reason they're back is because no football conference would let them in because their football program's an abomination. Yeah, I understand all that, uh, Brennan, but it's all about what's best for business. And you know what? Listen, I don't like UConn, but. The brand speaks for itself, and I want to play them now. I'm sorry. Is that so wrong that, that you know, the, the new Providence Friars want to play against the new UConn? Like, this isn't your old UConn. And sure, they've gotten recruits and all that, but you know what? I'm telling you, like, let's go. I'm ready to play UConn. We'll agree to disagree. I was completely fine with them playing uh, the Tulsas of the world for the rest of their career. That, but we'll agree to disagree. Yeah, you know, you don't see me over here saying that you're 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 a UNC fan on the side here. All right, listen. Yeah, I, get... I think I think everybody our age grew up a uh, UNC fan. Uh, unlike your Patriot fanhood, I've actually stuck with my teams. Oh please! I mean, listen. I get uh, the the whole rooting for a blue bun. I have one. I root for Kansas on the side. That's. I think everyone's allowed to have a cheat blue blood team. I think that's only fair if, if you root for a school like Providence or uh, like yep. any other non-blue uh, blue blood program. The painful thing for me is it seems like every single NCAA tournament, whether it's the first or second round, we're matched up with UNC. It's like the college basketball gods have, are out to get me. Yeah, I know. I mean, obviously you're pulling for PC and that's not yeah. Oh, but, of course. Uh, but yeah. Um, and of course, they they played them, you know, handful of times the Bryce Cotton game, and then obviously uh, done in Bentel after the win against USC um, all those years back. But uh, yeah, no, great interview with Fana. Um, we're hoping to get guests throughout the season yep. um, that you guys will be interested in. Um, but yeah, you know, that pretty much wraps it up for today. Want to give us a follow on Twitter again. I'm at Province Crier. Uh, Brent's at BOC all day. Um, yeah, we want to hear from you guys for sure. Uh, opinions on the on the pod, what we can do uh, to make your listening experience better. Um, you can also subscribe to the pod on um, Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts as well. So um, certainly we would love for you to, to do that. But um, that wraps it up for this week. BOC, you got anything else? Uh, I think we'll we'll be recording a podcast later this week, which should come out, uh, I believe, Friday, um, which talks more about uh, the recruiting scene, the 2021 and some 2022 uh, class stuff. So that should have some developments there, and that'll be a good conversation to analyze uh, where our class is, where we want to see headed in future classes. So that'll be a fun conversation as well. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, finally, it seems like, you know, granted, we got, not to get too much into it, but granted, you know, we landed Legend Geeter, but that seemed to kind of be like a layup. This one with Castro, you know, we have some competition here, and finally, it seems like we're the ones in, in the driver's seat in terms of the favorites, but we'll certainly see what happens. Um, and then also, we'll, we'll get to some uh, Big East Media Day stuff, too, unfortunately. Yep. We, we interviewed John the day before uh, media day there. So um, we'll get to all that and uh, we'll see you next week. Go Friars. Man up in my city, I'm the truth, yeah. David Duke when I'm way up on the hoop, babe. Crossover, I might go to LEU. Heard they sleeping on me, well, let's take them back to school. PC, you know we on go, ayy. Feel like AJ Reeves when I'm off that pick and roll, ayy. Fall down, bounce back like Emmy Hope, I'm the alpha dog, Diallo They was sleeping on me, that's what made me a savage And he see me bumping, so we gon' let him have it, yeah They don't want no static, we at the top just like the attic This year we taking over March Madness Man up in my city, I'm the truth, yeah Man up in my city